You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I just pray then because we're going to look at generosity for the next four weeks. And when I say we're going to look at generosity, I'm wondering, does anyone, anyone find you flinch when you hear that at church? Anyone flinch here tonight? Anyone find that they instinctively start to reach for their wallet? Or you look to either sides of the room and you think, hang on, where are the cards? Where are the special buckets? Where's the emotional music at the end of the message? Uh, if, if you're like that, if you flinched a little bit, then this series is for you. Not that, not the sense that you, you, you need to be giving more. Here's what I'm saying. This series is for you because I, w- I want you to understand that the generosity is never anything less than giving your money away, but it is so much more. It's not less than giving your money away. It's so much more than that. Generosity is the pervasive giving away of things of value in your life. I'll say it again. Generosity is the pervasive giving away of things of value in your life. And in fact, it's quite possible that, look, money is not the only part of it. It's quite possible that you find yourself uh, quite financially generous, but you actually are not radically generous. So when I say radically, it comes with the word radix, which means the center or the heart or the depth. And so what we'll see from this passage tonight is you can be technically generous, but you're not radically generous. And that's everything we're going to talk about. You see, this series is about having a radical generosity. And we've seen the power and the effect of a community of believers when there's a radical generosity. In Acts chapter 2, remember, it says that the believers, when they heard the message that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, when they received the gospel, when they received God's life-changing power, they gathered together in community. And Acts 2 from 48 onwards says that they sold all of their possessions. They sold their houses and they put it into the middle of this community and it said that no one went in need. That's radical generosity. Sell everything and bring it to the, in the middle. And here's what happened. Christianity explodes. Absolutely explodes because it's one thing to hear the message of Jesus Christ, but when you people look in from the outside and see a community that is that radically generous, they can't help but ask, what the heck is going on here? That's the power of radical generosity. And so uh, that's what we're going to process that tonight as we look at what does it take for us to be a community that's going to have a radical generosity? Because I think that's the big but for us. That's a big risk for us as a church. The big risk for us as a church is this, and why we're doing this series, that we can be a church, Northside, Lower North Shore, that is technically generous, but we're not radically generous. How do we get that? Here's where we'll go. Uh, We're going to look at the source of generosity, the sign of generosity, and then the secret to generosity. The source, the sign, the secret. You see, first of all, the source of generosity, Jesus tells a parable. It means he tells a story. I love the way that this guy teaches. People are trying to attack him all the time and he just tells stories. And so he tells a story. He says there are these two guys. One's a tax collector and one's a Pharisee. And they go up to the temple to pray and the the Pharisee starts going on about himself and the tax collector doesn't. He stands at a distance. So first of all, there are two characters here, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The tax collector. Now, when we hear tax collector, it's still got a negative term today. No one likes paying tax. (laughs) But... And it was a negative term then, but it was so much worse than what we have today. Uh, the, the tax collectors back then, basically, uh, the Jews were under Roman occupation. 
So Rome had, had come all the way in across the land and they had occupied the land that the Jews were living in, the Holy Land where it had just been, and they, they were an oppressed people. And so the Romans were always quite smart. Their little tactics were that in order to plunder and scourge the land that they were in is that they would, uh, they would plunder it physically and they would plunder it financially. And what they would do is they would collect taxes from everything that was earned in that land and send it back to Caesar. And they were clever because what they would do is they would get the tax collectors who were Jewish people to go and collect the taxes so they didn't look like the baddies. And so a tax collector was a Jewish person under Roman occupation ripping the financial guts out of their own people. Do you think they were well liked? (laughs) No. They were despised. Now the other amazing thing that happened with tax collectors is that basically the way the Romans went is they said, oh, we just want this percentage and whatever you collect above and beyond that, that's what you get to keep. So they were not only ripping off their own people, they were doing it in a mighty way. And so they're not only despised, but they were very wealthy and very despised. Very wealthy, very despised. That's the tax collector. Then you have the other character over here, the Pharisee. And we make a bit of a mistake when we talk about Pharisees because we think they're the baddies in the Bible. Because Jesus is always having a go at the Pharisees, isn't he? He's always saying, woe to you Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. And so we've come to think that the Pharisees were like the baddies and Jesus was the goodies. We sort of think that Jesus was the rebels and uh, the Pharisees were like the dark side of the force. Um, but they weren't like that. You have to understand that the, the Pharisees, they're actually the good people. It was the Sadducees that were the unliked religious people. It was the Sadducees that the corruption had kicked in. It was the Sadducees that didn't even believe in the, re- the resurrection. But the Pharisees, in fact, were this new, emerging, righteous, good movement of believers. They want to bring all the goodness back into the temple and obey God and be very good and obey his law. And so that's where the heart of the Pharisees often came. They were, they were a good, positive movement. So it makes sense that if you want to take someone who is uh, giving their money away and caring for the community and looking out for the poor and worshipping God and obeying God, it was a Pharisee. We have a despised tax collector and we have over here a pillar of the community. You getting the two characters? So Jesus sets it up. These two characters. Now let's look first at the philanthropist over here, at the charitable guy. It's actually funny because he starts off actually um, talking about all the things that he's giving away. Oh Lord, I thank you that I'm not like them. Yes, I give away a tenth of all that I earn. <laughs> um, modern day terms, we translate that as having tickets on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> oh Lord, I, I thank you. Look at this philanthropist. And it's almost like wildly exaggerated in the way that Jesus is talking. But Here's what Jesus is portraying here. Here is a person who is technically generous, but they're not radically generous. That they've got an open checkbook, but they've got a closed heart. That they're overflowing in generosity, but they've got a tight-fisted soul. You get the picture? He was technically generous, but not radically generous. Now today, that's the sort of person you sometimes see in the world or even in the church. That's the sort of person who's giving a lot of money away. They might even be giving sacrificially. They might even, might even be hurting them to do it. They might be talking huge sums of money. They might look wonderfully good in what they're doing, but it's the sort of person that the giving away the money, it comes with conditions. And the sort of person who says, I'm giving all my money away, but I'm going to tell you where you've got to spend it. Or they've got to be praised, or they hold grudges, or it's used as leverage. That's what that modern person could look today. A person who is technically generous, but they're not radically generous. Now, on the other hand, you have this tax collector. And where does he start off? He, he, he moves away at a distance. He, he won't even look up to the heavens. He says, Lord God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. 
And so we have this person over here who's technically greedy, but he's, becoming to be, he's starting to become radically generous in his thoughts, in his prayers. And we'll see what that means a little bit later on. Uh, but he's yeah, technically greedy, but growing in generosity. Technically generous, but not radically generous. Here's the point, the source. The source of generosity is never your purse or your wallet. It's your heart. It's your heart. It's the insides. God looks at the heart. We look at the outside. God looks at what is central. We see the superficial. God sees your worship. We look at the checkbook and the numbers and the zeros. So here's the question. If, if, the, if the source of generosity is from the heart, then how do, how do you know, how do I know if I'm being radically generous and not technically generous? Because that's the question. Uh, most of us here, and this is the wonderful thing, are incredibly invested into this place. In fact, we wouldn't, we wouldn't, all of this wouldn't be here if there was not an incredible generosity in this church. But how do we know the difference between being technically generous and radically generous? And here's the revelation. It's got something to do with this other parable that, that was here when I was reading through all of this. Look at, look at verse 15 onwards. It's actually like a separate little story. People, people were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. And Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now here's what I was asking when I, I was reading through this passage. Is that why, why does it suddenly start talking about Jesus and the little babies? Like did, did, Luke, did, did Luke have nowhere to put the story and so he just spliced it in somewhere? And I, when I read through I went, no, that, that can't really be the case because let, let me set the scene here. What, what the heck has kids got to do with generosity? Why is it straight after this? Let me set the scene. Jesus is coming down from Nazareth. He's been up around Caesarea Philippi ten times. He, he's saying, now is the time that I must go back to the Father. Now I must go back to the Father. And so he starts walking from Nazareth up in the north and he comes down through the region of Perea, which is uh, on the right-hand side of the Jordan and the Sumerian hills. And he comes down and he's about a town away from Jericho, which is about a day's walk from Jerusalem. And so he's coming down through this foreign land in Samaria and he's doing a lot of teaching, a lot of parables. And what we know is that if Jesus say, I'm going back to my father, he's literally only about three weeks out from his final breath. Because if you read through Luke, you'll see that he goes from Perea, that his next stop is Jericho. And then from Jericho, he'll walk up the wilderness road that if you've seen my Facebook, that was where the Good Samaritan was. He walked up that road to Jerusalem. He would have gone through a village called Bethany and Bethphage. You would have heard a story about Lazarus, raises him from the dead. Everyone starts seeing that. They follow him even further to another mountain called the Mount of Olives. And he'd go over the side down into a garden called Gethsemane, set up base camp, and then go into Jerusalem for his final week. So Jesus is three weeks away from his final breath. And there's a story about kids here. What is, what is going on? Why are the disciples rebuking him? I think when I was reading this through is they wanted to leverage their leader. They knew that he was going to the cross. They sensed it. They wanted to leverage their leader. They, they were saying, Jesus, why are you spending time with kids? You've got to teach. You've got to invest in us. You've got to, you've got to hang out with us. Why are you spending time hanging with kids? What have, what have kids got to do with changing the world? What are, how are kids in our strategy, Jesus, going to help us overthrow the Romans? What the heck is Jesus doing? And I, it suddenly clicked for me because I never intended to preach on this part of the passage. 
I just wanted to preach on the bit. I, I looked up in my, my guide where it says the tithe there. I just picked a part of the Bible that was talking about tithing and I thought that's where we could start generosity. <laughs> and then, and then God, God showed me this as I was prepping. What have the kids got to do with the story? Jesus was being radically generous. He's being radically generous. Because you think about it, he's only got a number of, of weeks. You see, just as the Pharisee was generous with his money, but he wasn't generous in his spirit towards the tax collector, the disciples are probably generous with their belongings. They've left their nets behind. They're following Jesus. But they're displaying the same ungenerous spirit towards the kids. Get them away. Shh. Shoot. And so just as have you have these guys who are technically generous but not radically generous, here's the point. You cannot measure generosity only in terms of money. But you have to measure generosity in terms of its various currencies. And here's what I mean by that. What is, what is currency? What's currency? Currency, it's not about the, the numbers on a node. It's an exchange of value. And currency is all about what, what are all these stack of bills compared to that stack of bills. In other words, what, what is this, what's the value of these bills that I'll exchange it for that value of that good? Now, this will be really crucial for you guys to understand in the next four weeks. And because we're, we're going to see this, that if you want to be radically generous and it per- pervasively flow in all areas of your life, then you have to understand that it's about the currencies of generosity. What do the little kids have to do with generosity? In light of this context, the most valuable thing that Jesus had in his pockets was not necessarily money three weeks ago, was not necessarily a strategic plan. It was all well underway. It was not necessarily just his teaching and the parables. The most valuable thing to Jesus that he had was time. And he was being radically generous with what? With his time. You can't be more generous with time than sitting with a bunch of kids three weeks out from the beginning or the end of your strategy, depending on which way you look at it. And here's what I thought was so cheeky with the scriptures. Is that not the most perfect application about what generosity is for our church context? Think about it. Often for you and I, we're working 40, 60 hour weeks. We're all a whole bunch of young professionals. Everyone's not professionals, but there's a lot of professionals in this place. And of all of the church context, what is often the most valuable resource that so many of us have? Our time. Think about it. This is like you. You've got, you've got a, a client presentation due at the end of the week. You've got to deliver on a sale that's happening in the week. You're working 12 to 14 hours a day to get this thing through. Your boss is is on your back. You've got all of this happening and this parable and what Jesus is doing is akin to you having all of this deadline during a week's time. All of your career depends upon this. And you decide to wander across and sit with your neighbor and hear about the hurts and the pains and the storms that are going on in their life. That's how crazy what Jesus was doing. Are you getting this? What it means is that, is that generosity is, is really about currencies. And we're going to see this. That there's not one currency when it comes to generosity. And the real sign of radical generosity is that you don't withhold the thing that is of most value to you. See the difference between technically and radically generous? You move to being radically generous when you're actually giving away the thing that is most of value. Let me set this up in some case studies because this is where this series is going to go for the next three weeks. So let, let me give you some practical case studies in, what, in terms of what that looks like. What are the currencies that we'll look like, currencies of generosity that we'll look at in this series? Here's the first one. It's the currency of physical and emotional space. I call that hospitality. The case study is that there are some people who are happy to write a check 
more than happy to write a check, but don't get them personally involved. They don't want the drain of the involvement. And so what that means is for them that their privacy is of more value to them than the currency of money. And so they may, may look radically generous because they're giving big dollars away, but they're not, uh, they, they may look technically generous because they're giving money away, but they're not radically generous because in the depth of their heart, they're holding back the thing that's of most value. That's their privacy. So another one. It's the currency of money. That seems to be the easy one. That's what we think. Generosity is money. This, but have you, ever, have you ever seen this one? This is the person who says, oh, you know what? I'm, oh, look, I'm, I just give away heaps of my time. I, I, just, I don't give away my money because I, I just invest heaps of time. I just serve heaps. I just do lots of stuff. And I think that's good enough for God, they say. Now, look, I, I don't want to push into someone like that because there's lots of genuine and beautiful reasons for that. But is it possible to have a person that's like that that is saying that they're giving away a heap of their time and they're actually withholding their money? That there's more capacity in their life and they're not, they're not giving that away? They're not being generous with that? So they look technically generous with their time, but they're not radically generous because there's capacity to give, but they don't. So in which case... The money is the more valuable currency in their life than their time. And at another end of this spectrum is the currency of ministry or service. This is uh, You can have the, the person here who's a regular part of our family here. Which, by the way, if you're listening into this, this is, this is not for you. If you're just a guest, this is not for you. This is for the family tonight. This is the person who they may give pretty regularly. And they may get involved pretty regularly. Um, but it's not committed in service. It's, it's not committed in a, in a regular basis. To, to serve is to be held accountable. You know, the Bible talks about being a living stone, being built in. And so service, when the Bible talks about service, service is an ongoing communal commitment. And so you have a person who's, who's, who's pretty regular and giving in pretty well, but they're not serving. They haven't gone across that threshold in which they said, I'm going to be committed. And that's, here's why. It's because for that person... Their independence. Their independence is more valuable to them than their money or their time. And so they look, they look technically generous because they could be here most Sundays. They could be totally active in the life of the community, but they haven't crossed that threshold to say that they are committed and accountable. Are you guys getting a sense of the case studies here? The currency of generosity is an exchange of value and radical generosity for you is going to mean... Do you, do you overflow? Do you give away the thing which is of most value to you? And do you do it easily? Hmm. How are we doing? Is it me has just got a bit hot in here? <laughs> Is the air conditioning on? Hmm. We, I always say I, I preach like a remedial massage. Okay, so... If, I, if I've pressed it against a few knots in you tonight when we're hearing that, then I'm good. We're getting somewhere. We're getting somewhere. We're not, we're not coming for an aura massage at church. You know, we, I'm, getting, I'm getting the elbow in. Okay? Are you all right with that? You want to go away from this place just, ah, oh, that hurt, but I've got a little bit more freedom, a bit more movement. Okay? So this should hit you in some areas. It, it has, it, look, it has for me. I've been wrestling through this the past couple of weeks. My one's the first one. You know, I'm actually an introvert. Those that know me know I'm an introvert. <laughs> Mike McQueen jokes with me about this. You know, my, my sacred Monday days where I just hole up like a hermit and I don't see anyone else. Uh, <laughs> number one, uh, the, the, 
the generosity of my time, hospitality. I said to Kristen yesterday, I said, "Hun, we're going to work on this. We've had no one over. Who are we doing life with? Who, who are we sharing our warts and all with? Who are we doing dinner with? And like the Thomases, on the other hand, they've got people for dinner every night of the week. There's always someone staying at their place. But, so it's different for all of us. But no, that's my, that's my wrestle. I've got to work on how I'm more generous with my time because it is. It's my privacy. That's the thing I'm really holding on to at the moment. I'm involved in those other areas of church. But, but God, God showed me that if there's an aspect of this that I feel that drains me, um, then I haven't tapped into the radical source of generosity. You can, you can either ring it or spring it when it comes to generosity. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a, sp- it's a sponge. You either ring it or spring it. You see, you can two ways to extract water into a bucket. You can ring a sponge or you can get it out of a spring. And, and, and one is good for about half a bucket's worth. A spring, on the other hand, it never ends. Wells up, overflows. You can ring it or spring it. That's for you. It wasn't in the notes. That must be the Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> Uh, Look, let's just let's wrap this up. Let's get moving. How do we get how do we get this? Sam and his idiosyncrasies. That seems to be the theme tonight. How do we get this spring like generosity? How does it flow from us? How do we do this so it doesn't feel like it's constantly draining us? How do we live a life of value overflow? Where does it begin? I think it was in verses 13 to 14 when we see in the attitude and the heart of the tax collector. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And what's fascinating there, there's a, the word that he uses there, have mercy on me. It's a Greek word, hilasterion, which is quite interesting because it's never used in any of the other Gospels. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. You see, whenever the word mercy is used, it's normally translated as a Greek word, word elios, which means sympathy. But that's not what this word means. Now, this word means to withhold, to propitiate is the technical term. It means to withhold your anger and your wrath. This guy was not saying, God, look, cut me a break. I've been, I've been a greedy tax. Can you cut me a break here? No, he's saying, God, please don't cut me off. Please don't cut me off. Now, that's the theoretical answer to where some of the genesis of this stuff begins in your heart when you see what God has done. It's a bit technical. And what I think, it's a technical word here, but it's a bit of a prophetic story from Jesus. Because if we read through chapter 18, if you go to chapter 19, you can flick through there. There's a story of a guy that I really relate to in the Bible. His name's Zacchaeus. And I really relate to this guy, not because he's short, <laughs> but, um, but, but because he, ex- he experienced God's grace in a mighty way. This is a wonderful case study of what happens. We won't talk it through in a big detail, but Jesus literally goes to the next town after telling this story. He sees this tax collector, a real life one, not in the story, sitting in a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, get down out of the sycamore, mate. I'm going to have high tea at your place this afternoon. <laughs> and he hangs out with him and everyone goes, oh my goodness, Jesus is eating with a tax collector. You understand the context now of that, right? How, how, how the heck can Jesus eat with a tax collector? And then it says, when, when Zacchaeus came out of the house, he, he said to him, look, Lord, when it's translated, it's actually translated, look, daddy. He said, look, daddy, I give away half of all my possessions and anyone that I've cheated, I declare to them, I will pay them back 600%. What's fascinating about that is when you go over through and read the book of Numbers and the laws around this restitution, if you've cheated someone, um, that was six times the re- what was the required restitution in the book of Numbers by God's law. In other words, Zacchaeus, as a result of God's grace, went six times above the legal requirement. And here's the point. You'll become radically generous 
The degree to which you are radically generous is the degree to which you see and you experience the grace of God. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. And again, it can sound pretty technical. So here's what it meant for me in terms of experiencing the the grace of God. And I promised you I wouldn't tell you too many Israel stories, but just one. But I was having a brekkie last week uh, with an amazing guy from Haiti called Donson which I thought was a fascinating name. It's like Don Johnson all rolled into one. <laughs> Donson, the name association. Anyway, nothing to do with the story. Um, Don, yeah, Donson was just yeah, an amazing guy. Side story is he studied economics and science, couldn't get a job. He felt God was calling him into the ministry. He went to Bible college, uh, couldn't afford to pay for it. On the first day, he decided he would turn up, and if they kick him out, they kick him out. And that afternoon, one of his friends caught up and said, uh, I don't know what you're up to, Donson, but um, God's told me that I need to give you some money for Bible college. And then the whole thing was paid. That's a generosity side note, but nothing to do with this story. Now, as he went on, we finished breakfast. He was telling me about Haiti and all he was doing over there. And at the end of breakfast, he starts stuffing a whole bunch of hard-boiled eggs into a Ziploc bag and I'm from the buffet that we had in the hotel. And I'm like, what are you doing, mate? I'm like, you must really like your eggs. And, uh, and he said, no, no, they're there for lunch. And I said, well, lunch? We're going up for a nice Palestinian lunch up there. It's going to be 10 bucks. It'll be fine. He says, $10? He says, that's more than I earn in a day. And my heart just went, oh. <laughs> Have you ever been like that? We've had those moments where, oh, oh, Lord. And you know that moment where you start thinking through all the things on your credit card statement and all the useless stuff that you've bought in the last week? And you think, man, I just, I just paid for that subscription there and I just went through the Lane Cove Tunnel like five times this week. <laughs> oh man, that, that, that could pay Donson for a day. I'm going to drive through Lane Cove no matter, no matter what the traffic is this week. I mean, you know how you do that. And so I, I thought, that's it. When I get home, and I've been reading through this, I said, well, that's it. When I get home, look, Lord, I've got, to, I've got to do something. I've got to get this whole generosity stuff sorted and... And I started thinking about it like that. And here's the pause for a second. That's how most preachers would probably want to preach this passage, right? I don't know if you've ever been in churches like that where you get to this point and they tell you how incredibly blessed you are because you live in the lower North Shore and think about Donson in Haiti and all the other people in Africa who earn less than a dollar a day. And, and we all feel, oh my goodness, look at what I've spent this week. <laughs> And, and I went down that path and, and I realized if we went that way, and the way I was feeling is if I went in that thought, God was saying to me, Sam, you're moving down into a pathway of guilt. That's not what I want for you. That's not the genesis of generosity. Here's how it worked. You know, this Bible, it's sitting on the table at breakfast next to him. Uh, it's next to me and he's sitting there with his Bible next to him. And I, I, I'm looking at my Bible, I'm looking at his Bible and I'm thinking they're exactly the same words and we've both got exactly the same mandate on our life. All of us have got the same mandate that we're there to go and make disciples of all of the nation. It's exactly the same call, it's exactly the same words. And then God hit me. I'm thinking to myself, well, why does he have to minister in Haiti and I get to minister here? God says to me in those funny ways. When I say that, I'm just like, it's not like the angel of the Lord's there talking to me. It's just this leading and this sensing my thought life. I started thinking, well, what? when did I choose to be born in Australia and not Haiti? And who gave me the brains to go and get the scholarship to that private school in the upper North Shore of Sydney? 
Or who gave me the opportunity to walk, walk, work in the corporate world for a little bit? And who, who gave me the opportunity to go and study and have the education that I have? Who gave me a, a country that gives you your Bible college for free on hex? It's not really free, but who... who <laughs> particularly not if you're living in London now with the way Christopher Pine's going. But <clears throat> Who did that? And the Lord said to me, it's all an act of my grace. And suddenly guilt moved into gratitude. Because I went, it's, a, it's an act of grace. It's a total act of grace. And God was saying to me in that moment, Sam, you worry about your little patch of the field. I've called Donson to do what he's going to do. And I'm calling you to do what you've got to do in your part of the world. And he takes me back to Luke 12, which is only a couple of chapters before. And I pray this every time I pull out of the driveway of a morning. Kristen knows this, that I say to the Lord, to the Lord I repeat what he said to us, that to whom much is given... Much is required. God has bestowed incredible blessings upon you and I, but it should never come from a place of guilt, but of gratitude. And then even better from that, a place of joy. Look at what he is doing in this place. And so we will only ever be generous to the degree to which we get God's grace. Have you guys had a Donson moment? I don't want you to go out of here feeling guilty. It's not a compassion a style ad or a world vision style ad, not trying to make you feel guilty, but it's, it's, not, it's not that style. If, you, if you're feeling guilty in this, you haven't got God's grace. It's not the way that I'm wanting to preach it. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to you in some way for you to get that. But if you had a Donson moment where you understand the wonderful grace that God has bestowed upon you. Now there's a saying that's often, we hear the saying, you've got to give until it hurts. I think it's a bit of a silly saying because anyone I know in the church gives until it hurts. It's a pretty easy thing to do, to give until it hurts. Most of you are doing it already. <laughs> it should, what I want to do in this series, it should be the other way around, not give until it hurts. What we want to be doing is giving until it feels good. Until there's joy, until there's a Zacchaeus-like overflow. Look, Daddy, half of my possession, 600%. Thank you for your grace. The degree that we get God's grace is the degree that we'll be generous. So um, any of you feel like you've just been given a shirt that is way too big for you? I, I, I feel like I've got a big shirt that's got generosity written on it and my arms are dangling with the sleeves down there. I feel like it's too big. I, I don't know about you. I feel like I've got a lot of growing up to do when it comes to this thing called generosity. And I really want to encourage you tonight, there's going to be no cards. There's going to be no emotional music. There's going to be no call. There's, no, there's not going to be no pressure in all of this. And here's why, because this year, 2015, we're setting cultural seeds. My hope and dream for this place, we're, we're, we're tilling up the soil. We're, we're starting a new season. We're starting a new fresh. We're planting new seeds in the ground. And I don't want to wring generosity out of you guys. I want it to spring from us. I want it to overflow. So there's going to be no call. There's not going to be no action point. There's going to be no response to all of that. But guys, as we leave tonight, let's look at this anaplectically, right? <laughs> and if you've been around long enough, you know what that means. I won't explain it at this point in the sermon. But we've got to look at, 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 look at the, above the surface of the water and below. We've got to look corporately and we've got to look individually. Individually, there's always room to grow when it comes to generosity. We will find time and time again the cheekiness of Jesus Christ, the demands of Jesus Christ, that there is never and will never be a point in your life where you sign off and say, ah, I've reached the benchmark of generosity. There's no such thing as a line when it comes to Jesus Christ. His people are always generous in response to the degree that they get God's grace. 
But here, that's the individual piece. But looking up in the big picture, guys, the big risk for us, the big risk for us is it possible in the years to come we will be technically generous, but we won't be radically generous. That's the threshold that we stand up, stand at tonight. We, we have this line in the sand for us as a community that God is blessing us with incredible things. We are blessed with incredible resources. And my dream is that we would be a church that suddenly gets this. This is we are being individually changed as all aspects of our life, our time, our talents, our money, our privacy, whatever it is. As all of this begins to just overflow and we can let that go and there's a declaration of that freedom that we can let these things go. That, that we're not selling our houses necessarily but we're bringing it into the middle and all these resources get shared so people come in and look from the outside and they say what the heck is going on in this place that we'd be one of those few places in Sydney where there is a radical generosity that's what it means to be the light of the world in City on a Hill that's another expression of light of the world City on a Hill Uh, we've sown a seed tonight it's called generosity we sowed seeds a couple of weeks ago it was called character We've sown generosity in the life of our church. Uh, I've just planted it. Um, The rest of us are all going to water it, but God's going to make it grow. That's the dynamic. Let's pray.